And uh, let's go ahead and get into this. Uh, if you're youth, you might know that you're, I mean, you might see that I haven't released you because um, I'm speaking on suffering today, and that's what I'm going to put you through. Uh, so you don't get to go to Joyful Noise today. I'm sorry. Um, you, get to, you get to experience suffering with the rest of us. Okay. Um, no, really, though, how, how, was, uh, how was Thanksgiving? Everybody have a good time? Yeah? Yeah. I love Thanksgiving, and, and uh, it's probably, it, it is probably one of my favorite holidays. Uh, and, and I think it, I think that's the, I mean, you know, a lot of people like Christmas, and a lot of people like, because Christmas is almost like Thanksgiving when it comes from, like, food and fellowship and family, but then you get presents, too. I get it. I get it. But I like Thanksgiving for some reason. I, I, don't, I don't know why. It, it, it's, for many years, I would say, it, my Thanksgiving would go something like this, and that's why I think it had a rhythm to it that I really enjoyed. I would, a few days before the holiday, I would get a text message or a phone call from a friend that I used to go to church with. And he would tell me, hey, Turkey Bowl, Thursday morning, 6 a.m., be at Los, uh, I think, Alta Marietta Park. And I was like, wow, I love football. So we, I'd get up early, crack it on, suit up, get the cleats on, head out there, hoping to, with these young men, throw around the pigskin for a little bit, you know? And of course, it was, it was like the introduction to a wondrous day. I knew that later on I'd be able to have some food, hang out with my family, but it was like this time where these guys got together grueling, grunting, pushing ourselves to our darn physical limits, you know? And there's a lot of blood, sweat, and probably a couple tears that those men didn't want to share, but it was happening. And some of us, honestly, I know this sounds weird, we didn't leave the field under our own power. Some of us, we had to get carried out oftentimes because of the bumps and bruises. Sometimes I would show up, as my wife would always point out, coming back home with those bumps and bruises, a split lip here or maybe a limp there. But it was all, it's all okay because crushing bones unto the Lord, there's something special about it, you know? For several years, I would just return back, and the next thing is I come home, I take a quick shower, and next thing I know, I'm downstairs, and we're already snacking. We're already enjoying, you know, what's going on there. And, and it's like, I don't even have to wait for the meal. The bird's still in the oven, but I'm here. I'm able to grab a little something here. This year, we had a, uh, I don't want to mess up the word, but a charcuterie board, you know? You know, with meats and cheeses and all that stuff. I was like, man, Thanksgiving's getting, you know, elegant. <laughs> I started putting my pinky up, and I was like, these are the finer things in life, you know? Um, yes, char, char, charcuterie, charcuterie. All right, charcuterie, yes. I put my butter knife over here, too, I don't know. All right, um, but what was crazy, too, is while we're snacking, there's already an early morning uh, football game. So I just played football. Now I'm watching football, snacking on Thanksgiving treats, and there's still the main dish coming. And the great thing about our relationship is that we have a big family, so typically we can't put, bring all that family together. Or we, they have plans already. So then we do it, and then we go to the next family and do it again for the same day. I mean, you talk about a day of gluttony, I'm there. That's what's been happening, you know? 
And I love it. I just absolutely love it. It was always something for me where I just felt like, man, this is great. And then by the end of the day, probably put on a traditional, you know, movie, a Thanksgiving movie like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And then I just enjoy the rest of the night. We didn't get to watch it this time. That was a bummer. But just love it. Love that time, you know. And the cool thing was this. Then the next day, I wait 364 more days until that text message and that call again so I can do it all over again. And up until recently, to be honest with you, that group of young men, they would still play the turkey bowl on Sunday. You know, this is like 20 years now. Um, The only difference was that those young men, they were old men now. They were still grunting, grueling, and pushing themselves to their physical limits with me. But that was just getting up the sidewalk to get to the park, you know? (laughs) There wasn't much crushing of bones anymore. Uh, Maybe we crushed a few ibuprofen as we uh, left the field for easy swallowing. But, uh, you know, when most celebrate Thanksgiving now, I mean, that's 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 a lens or a picture into my Thanksgiving, you know? And, and I love it. And, and most people, when we think of Thanksgiving, it's a very traditional Thanksgiving that has become the norm of Thanksgiving, right? You got, you got the pigskin on the TV. You're breaking bread together. You're, you're gathering people. It's, it's that same national holiday that we've always thought it to be. But obviously, as we know, the origin of that national holiday was built upon a foundation of something very different. It was built upon the idea that we would actually have a day of remembrance to give thanks, to actually give thanks. And I know, you know, it was great because Pastor Casey, the last couple of uh, um, sessions uh, and messages, he shared about that. You know, it's like this is our opportunity to exercise and practice the giving of thanks. And so while we have this mentality of like we go into the Thanksgiving and we enjoy it for what it currently is as, a, as that tradition, as believers, we want to get very, uh, we want to make sure that we're not forgetting that practice of Thanksgiving. And, and so what I normally do, and I'm sure you guys do it too, is during the holidays, you start looking back at those scriptures, those scriptures that specifically lend themselves to a Thanksgiving message. And, and, you're, and you start meditating on those scriptures so that, in essence, you can not reset, but reignite for the next season a level of thanksgiving. Like the early, um, the early uh, colonists who, who were actually pr- going through the thanksgiving process, and I don't mean the, the very first one, but um, they would practice it because they would give thanks for maybe a military victory that they received or the ending of a drought. Because think about it, if they didn't have, if, if, they, if they didn't get the rain that they needed, they might be a real tough season coming up without food. And so giving thanks was always, like, for us, we don't have to worry about that. We can go right down to the market. It's, it's like, hey, here it is. You know, we get upset if the winds are running and then the power goes out. And now we're like, look what you did to my bird. But back then, it was really a matter of whether or not they were going to have a plentiful harvest to last them through this next season. And so I always try to exercise that with myself. I'm like, all right, I know I should be doing this every day, and I know I should be doing it constantly, but... We use this as, a, as a, re, you know, a reigniting point, Thanksgiving, this holiday. And so I always go to those, you know, those scriptures, the, the specific ones that help. And one that always kind of helps me press into that exercise is 1 Thessalonians 
And it says in that verse, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In other translations, it might say all circumstances or in every situation. But it all amounts to the same Greek word, which is pos, which means collectively the whole, all things, all things, not just some things, all things. Now, I don't know about you, because this is where it gets, I try to go into that practice and that exercise, but where it gets a little tough is when I think of all things, because not all things are good things. Amen? I mean, we know that, right? Not all things that we encounter as believers are good things. In a fallen world, we're going to encounter some things that are just not good. And I understand, and I can, I can sit on that knowing, hey, I'm not, I, I see that the, the scripture doesn't say give thanks for the circumstances. It says in the circumstances. I get that. And I think all of us have embraced that from a time. You know, we understand that it's not God saying, hey, you should be thankful for those bad circumstances you know, that are before you. It's not, it's not, that's not how we read it, and we know that. But even then, it's a little tough, right? It's a little tough when we have those circumstances, those all things that don't line up with good things. It's hard for me to get behind the practice sometimes, and I'm just being honest with you guys, it's hard for me to get behind the practice of giving thanks when some of the biggest things hit. We lost a, my wife and I, we lost a friend, tragically, to a motorcycle accident just a week ago. And you don't understand, you know? You're like, wow, all right. What was that verse again? Or a mother who continues to contend for her son who has a 20-plus year drug addiction and just continues to pray for him, for a change in his life. What was that verse again? I, I find it hard to get behind that practice sometimes when my wife and I are, are working with the youth and all we ever see is that they're tormented by anxiety, by depression, by suicidal ideation, and you're like thinking, why? You're so young. Ugh. You know? What was that verse again? And it's obviously not just us that deal with that. I mean, there's stories in the Bible that kind of press in on that. One of my favorite stories of the Bible is the story of Joseph. You know, this guy had dreams that he was going to be a leader, a leader one day. And for having those dreams and maybe, maybe being a little, as a younger person, reckless with those dreams at the beginning, how did, what did he get? He was almost murdered by his, his own family, his brothers then sold into slavery, into bondage, then imprisoned after being uh, falsely accused by a seductress. And you got to think like, man, is that guy giving thanks right now? Is he, is, is he thinking about giving thanks? It's a tough situation. When I think about family or people that are very close to me mourning a loss of, uh, uh, of somebody in their family, I carry the weight of that. I'm sure some of you do too when you have that in your, in your household or in your life. Or family that are facing 
insurmountable odds that you, all you want to do is shake them right and be like, hey, and yet you feel helpless, not in control of it, not able to do something about it. And you feel, I don't know how to explain it, like you feel like a level of responsibility. I don't know how to explain that, you know, where you're just connected to somebody. You feel the level of responsibility of like, what can I do? What was that verse again? And yet the word tells us that in those circumstances, there is a response when we have to deal with all things, good and bad. And we find it in Romans Chapter 8, 28, and we know it. We've heard it before. I'm sure all of us have heard it before, not just heard it, but we've shared it with others. And it says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is one of those like, what do you call it? wonder elixirs verses, right? It's one of those verses that we can throw out when people are really dealing with something. And be, hey, don't forget, though. Don't forget. You know? We, we, he's working together all things. And yet, in the circumstances of a fallen world, you still feel it in the moment. You still feel it. And I know I'm, I've, I've done it. I'm guilty of it. I've shot that passage out in an effort to almost like attack where they might be struggling with something. And sometimes it might come off a little insensitive. And I don't mean it, but I think sometimes it's like a sense of, whew, you know, like here it is. And again, in that scripture, the Greek word used, pos, is the same thing. It's no different, all things. Good, bad. There's no, there's no difference. You know how like sometimes we get into that language and, and it might be a different word used there? Nope, it's the exact same word. Exact same word as in the First Thessalonians uh, passage. Not some things, but all things. Even those rough circumstances of this fallen world, the confusing and the complex, the tragic and the frustrating, the suffering. It's a tough pill to swallow sometimes to feel like, man, you're in the middle of this and you want to give thanks and yet it's hard to see victory in that moment. And I think as believers, not just when that passage is shared with us, but also when we share that passage with others as a level of encouragement, we need to be careful of how we share it. Because we want it to, A, be effective when we deliver it, but also we want to we make sure that we have a clear understanding of what it really says. So I want to dig a little deeper into the context of that so that we can be armed with that appropriate perspective to embrace the power that actually comes with this passage so that we can break through the hangups that we might have with it or when we're trying to encourage one another. So Apostle Paul writes in chapter eight to the Christians in the church of Rome about living, just to kind of give you a context, about living a, a life with the Holy Spirit, being heirs with Christ to the Father in heaven, and, and after suffering 
a future glory that's available to us. He speaks about the groanings of creation and us as believers, our groanings in our body as it's a deteriorating body, but we know that there's a redeemed body still awaiting us, you know. And he then lets us know that there's, you know, there's this good news of living a life with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit intercedes on our behalf in those groanings. And then, of course, that leads to this scripture, Romans 8, 28. Now, I believe the danger that comes with throwing around this verse is the fact that sometimes I'm sure we might emphasize only pieces of it, not the whole verse, just pieces of it. Maybe you've done this, I know I have. Maybe you quote it as light as this. And we know that all things work together for good. I know I've heard it, I know I've said it. But as you can see, there's some, stri there's some strikeouts there, some redactions. And it gives a completely different meaning to the entire phrase or the entire passage at that point. And we know, a confidence, and we know that all things work together for good, period. No other half of the passage. I do it, I've done it. But I, can, I come to realize that that can be very irresponsible with, this, with the full passage. Who is this passage for? It defines it. Who is this passage for? It's, it's not just a passage we can throw around to anyone. It says in the, in the, in the uh, strikeout, it's for those who love God. Those who love God get to experience the rest of this passage. So we start to narrow down the population that gets to experience the passage. Because I'll tell you, I'm, I've thrown that out as a truth. I've thrown it as a truth, a promise, to people who don't even know God. And they might embrace that, but at the same time, do they love God? Do you love God? Do I love God? How do we know we love God? I mean, we talk about it, but how do we really know? When we go to his word, maybe that'll help. First, we respond to his love. It says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. We respond to his love. It's not a one-way love. We are in response and reciprocating what has already come our way undeservedly. Also, we keep his commandments. It says in John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make a home with him. So we keep his commandments. That's a way of showing our love for him. And, important one, we remain committed to God even during those trials. Job. Jeez, what a life. And yet, Job, in verse 121 says, and multiple verses where he re reaffirms this, the Lord gave and the Lord just take it away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Whew. That story, yikes, you know? 
that story. So those who love God get to access the rest of this passage for the working together. So do you love the Lord like that? I, 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 when I was you know, studying on this, I was like, do I love the Lord like that? Am I really, am I doing that on a rhythm, on a regular? Am I, or am I just pulling it out of pocket when I need it? You know? So now that we know who the audience is for this passage, we'll get to the next part, which is all things working together. All things mean all things. We've talked about it, good and bad, right? In this fallen world, you know, as a Christian, as a believer, we're not going to experience all good things. And we may not work out of the way, it may not work out the way that we desire it to be done. We have a picture in our head of what we want to see as the working out of it. But that may not be the perspective God has. It's like in Isaiah 55, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither your ways are my ways. And yet, we still line up with, well, but I see this, God, as probably the working together of all things, right? Right, God? Right? You know? And trying to frame it, put it in that box of this is the way. This is what it's supposed to be. And yet, we get really frustrated when it doesn't turn out that way. Now it says, now, now all things, good and bad, working together, the Greek word there is sunergio. Sunergio. It's the Greek word for synergy. Synergy. It means to partner in the labor. Partnering in the labor. So think about that. The good stuff and the bad stuff, there's a synergy when those things clash together and they're actually working towards good. It's like a math equation, right? You know, it's like the opposite. It's like you have an opposite, it goes into a certain direction, like you got positive, negative, it's going to be a, you know, this. You got a positive, positive, it's going to be positive, it's going to be a negative, it's going to be a negative, Right? It's working towards good, bad things and good things. And so when we think about that, it gives us a little bit of, if we can hold on to that, it gives us a little bit of a different perspective of maybe what God sees, which is, ah, those things that I can't stand, the things that I hate, are permitted for the things that he loves. Ugh. But, the synergy may lead to something beautiful. Something that isn't necessarily the immediate good. Isn't that what we normally are looking after? The immediate good. It's like, all right, if I fit this in the box, the immediate good is this will happen. And yet we don't know if that's actually the thing that's supposed to happen. I mean, how long did it take for Job? How long is it going to take for Joseph? We'll get into that later. How long did it take for Abram and Sarai to have that baby? 
So the ultimate good is what he's looking for. The question is, as we see the synergy of all things, good and bad, working towards good, his good, because he's the, he's the giver of every good and perfect gift, then can we wait it out for the ultimate good? That's a tough one. It's tough because in the moment, we're like, well, how much time do we got? Can I wait? I'm not sure I can. So that's the first half of the verse, broken down a little bit. But what it doesn't answer still is to what end? Why? Why does he do these things? Why does he work together things for good? For what purpose? Well, the second half of that verse shares that. So if you go back to Romans 8.28, the full one without the strikeouts, he shares for his purposes. And what is his purpose? His purpose can be found in the next couple verses, verses 29 and 30. And I'll share that here. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, if you've ever ran across that passage before, you're probably well aware that it is rich with knowledge and theological considerations that I'm not going to get into today, right? Because I'm sure there's people in this room that are like, where are you going with this, pal? You know, I'm not getting into that part of it today. Use your life groups to exercise and work through that. What I want to speak to is, if you read between those lines, there's still a purpose there without having to get into predestination, calling, and worry, thinking about that, foreknowledge. If he's all-knowing, then we can lean on that promise. But we can say, what is the purpose? That ultimately, it would be to conform to the image of his son that he works things together for good for the purpose. So now, for those who love him, for the purpose of conforming into the image of Jesus. That's what's available to us. That's what is available to us. And it says in the beginning of Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know. Apostle Paul says that with complete confidence. And we know. He's not saying, maybe, Maybe this is what God has in store for us. He says with confidence, and we know that this is available to us. Those that love him, he's working through you. He's sanctifying you. He's refining you. He's chipping away at the very things that you have and have to deal with on this fallen world for the purpose of your ultimate good, a salvation and glory, a glory with him. 
Now, <laughs> I think when I've processed that in my frustration with the things that are happening in this fallen world, the utter confidence that Paul shares, for we know, and we know, that this is available to us, the believer who loves God for his purposes, which is that we can have that glorified redemption with the Father, ultimately, that ultimate good. That if we keep this in mind, it'll be much easier to understand our trials as the synergy for the good things and bad things that happen in this world are actually leading towards something good. It's always in hindsight, right? It's always in hindsight. In the moment, you're not thinking, oh, you know what? Me getting run over by that car is gonna lead to this down the road, I promise you. We don't do that. Because it, in the moment, we're probably in all sorts of pain and we're not thinking about what that you know, victory might be. Now, not to say that that's a you know, silly thing or a bad thing to do, right? It's natural, it's real. Our nature is to operate like that. But if we can start to reframe our lens in the confidence that even Paul shares here about those that love him having access to this synergy that works things together so that I, so that you, can form, can conform into the, the image of his son. That's an exciting time. Because then in those moments, we might be able to hope and build up a hope for I will give thanks in this circumstance knowing that God is working things together, including those bad things, for a purpose that is so awesome and worthy. When we're suffering, the veil covers us from being able to see that, right? We have a veil over us and we, we can't see it. We're like, oh man, this hurts. I just wish this wouldn't happen. Take this away from me, Lord, please. And yet, in those things, he's working through that synergy something greater and better. If you look back to the end, because it says earlier in that chapter that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf in our groanings, right? So if we think about that, the Spirit is with us in that activity as we're seeing the spiritual you know, realm, just this collision between the good and bad things, then they're working, now they're working not against each other, but together for our growth and our refinement. So I look back on the story of Joseph, one of my favorite stories again, and I think, man, if I was Joseph, I wouldn't have been too confident in my future. After kind of seeing the dream, I'd be like, all right, that's great, until I got sold into bondage, almost killed by my brothers. Um, after I was falsely, uh, you know, uh, falsely charged again, um, with infidelity and then imprisoned by my biggest enemy. And based on that evidence, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to move forward with it. And yet he was, he was still <laughs> set free by Pharaoh to manage the plan for preparing against a seven-year famine that was coming. He ended up becoming second in command for his biggest enemy. His specific purpose was fulfilled. It took 17 years, but it fulfilled after he had a dream about it that he'd be the ruler of the land. And then towards the end of it, with this cool story, a long story, but a cool story, his father dies, and the brothers come back together. 
And this is after they've kind of come back together um, as a family. And the brothers think, oh man, now that dad's gone, this dude is gonna lay his wrath on us because he's second in command. We were the ones, <clears throat> we're the ones that sold him into slavery. Yeah, he's probably, uh, he's pro- we're toast, you know? And yet, this was Joseph's response found in Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Okay, this is weird. So when you think about that, you're like, oh. So what you're telling me is Joseph, almost getting killed by his brothers, but then the choice to not kill him and just sell him into slavery was this domino effect that then allowed him to get into a situation where he's um, uh, taking care of the, the, the main commander's home, and then the main commander's wife tries to seduce him, and he's not having it, but then she flips the script and tells uh, you know, the, the authorities that he made a, a move on her, and he gets imprisoned, and then his neighbor in prison gets his head chopped off for things, and he's thinking he's probably next sitting there in prison, and then he actually interprets a dream, gets out of prison. Pharaoh wants to use him to actually assemble, because of the dream that he interpreted was, hey, there's a seven-year uh, plenty, and there's a seven-year famine. Let's prepare the plenty for the time of famine, which he was put in charge of. Leading back to him having connection back with his family that he lost so many years ago because they, need, they were in need of food. So all those things, like a domino effect, led to an eventual purpose that he recognizes when he says, the things that you thought you were doing as evil against me, God was able to work together for his good, and it saved many people because they would have starved if he didn't prepare for the famine. So God synergized the tough things that were happening in his life to prepare him for that moment, for such a time as that, for him to be able to step into that option and that opportunity. That's crazy. Because when you think about it, you're like, uh, those are all coincidences. No, there's no way. Because if it didn't happen that way, then he wouldn't have been a part of that process. And then the dream he had, you know, multiple years before would have never come to fulfillment, at least in the way it came out in the, in, in, in the scriptures. Wow. And it got me thinking, as I was sharing with that story, it got me thinking about my own life and, and how that's happened in my own life. My wife and I were leading a team once on activity and, and we had challenges with some of our team members and we, it was starting to create a division, a wedge in our team and we're like, whoa, what do we do here? I was ready to boot the person right out because they were, in essence, they were, they were helping cause this rift. If not for good counsel from good brothers, my pastors, I probably would have moved forward because in the moment, you feel that way. You feel like, boom, this is the, this is the course of action. This is the immediate good. This is the immediate good. Got to take care of it. And then they said, hey, can we pray about it overnight? Da, 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 this. And I remember I was like, I'm here to help out with orphans, and I'm dealing with team member stuff that's not okay. Pray about it. Okay, fine. I'm not happy about you asking me to pray about it, but I'm going to do it. And then I remember we, we, my wife and I, we're just talking about this with a good friend that was on that team, and we're like, and I'm like, man, 
Lord, you had me here to serve the orphans and I'm dealing with this. What's the deal? And the response that was resonating back with me is, have you ever thought for once that maybe that person is an orphan? That needs the very love that you are obviously implementing and you've been called to a leadership position for the team? And it blew my mind. Started bawling my eyes out like, man, I'm the jerk. I'm the jerk right now. So we had a a team meeting and I will never forget this because more than likely that person was ready to leave themselves and yet what God put on my heart was to say, no matter what, I want relationship with you. And the spirit like broke down any walls that were in that room that day. And from it, what ended up happening was it was like a It was like a discipline that was instilled in me that in leadership and shepherdship of people, what matters most, like we talked about when we were talking about the the, the triangle of relationships, is that God sees relationships as one of the most valuable capital out there. And in the throes of trouble, in the throes of frustration, investing in the relationship would actually break through the very weapons that the devil was trying to create division with. That's why I tell you that. Because that was a long time ago. I was equipped with that now. So when I get back from that team, all of a sudden, I would say within probably two months, I'm told at work that I'm taking on a whole new division. And the reason why is because these people are really struggling and we they can't be with their people anymore. Because it's they're they're starting to have mental health issues. They're having suicidal thoughts and I'm thinking what? Why am I having to carry this load? You know? And then it came up again. When this person's yelling at me because of the plights of their life, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, really, all I want to do is slap the taste out of his mouth. Being honest. But instead, it was like, remember how we walked through this before with relationship, pressed in that relationship. Little did I know that later on, He was going through things. He was getting divorced. He was struggling with stuff. Later on, his wife, who he was getting divorced from, reaches out to me out of the blue and lets me know that she's come to know the Lord and that she wants her son to come to the youth group. And I'm like, this is crazy. So we're hanging out with her son. Son has mental health issues, suicidal tendencies, all sorts of stuff. And then, and we have to shepherd into that. And we're like, God, what are you doing here? And then all of a sudden, he gives his life to the Lord. And now he's changing and transforming. You're like, whoa, what's going on here? And then, because all this stuff, I'm like thinking, what the heck's going on? And then, and then the next thing we know is I'm in church one day and this lady comes up to me and she's like, hey, are, are you Micah? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, you work at MSJC? And I go, oh, here we go. <laughs> Person wants me to get them into class because I work at MSJC. You know, like, hey, can you sneak me into this class? It's real full. I'm like, oh, okay. Yes, I do work at MSJC. And she was like, so do you know my son? I mean, And she said his name, and I was like, I do know your son. Son happened to be the person, the person that was struggling so bad that got delivered to me, was yelling in my face at one point, and I wanted to slap the taste out of his mouth. But instead, through relationship we developed, he started bringing his son here to to go to camp or to do this or to do that. And she said to me, you're the Micah. And I go, what? My grandson was in deep depression and one day I saw he was changed, and he was saying he's working through things with a youth group out at Menifee, a youth pastor named Micah. And she just happened to come that day because one of you in this room 
were like the greatest evangelists that had been pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing to get this person to come, and they didn't want to come, and they eventually said, fine, I'll go. And then they see that God had worked things together because they were struggling in life. They wanted to move out of here because they had, you know, a disarray with their family. And yet they came that day, and they're like, this cannot be coincidental. And now they're regular members at this church. And it's crazy because I would have never known that parent, that parent of the person that worked for me, if all those weird things didn't happen. It's the craziest thing. And I think to myself, like, God, that can't be coincidence. That is too weird. And yet from it, two people have now come to know the Lord as a result of your working in it. And I think for us, we have to, in the moment when it hurts, when, when you don't even understand why the bad things are happening, you have to be able to know, because it's hard when you don't have hindsight because you can't see it. You have to be able to remember what he's done already in your life and how he's worked through these things already because he's going to do it again. Shared with our Africa team earlier this, a couple weeks ago, you know, um, the spiritual attacks are going to come heavy. I've talked to multiple of you, of you already, and you're all, yeah, it is. Know that the synergy of all things, good and bad, are working towards something great in your life. Because he is great. And so in the moment right now when we are dealing with the things that just feel like they're insurmountable, no, like Joseph, that even it was 17 years of insurmountable experience, that there was still a future and a hope available to him, and it's available to you. I want to have my wife come up real quick. She's going to close us out in prayer. But it's a call to action to you guys that in the throes of this and when we give thanks in all circumstances, know that all circumstances, good and bad, God is synergizing for his good. Synergizing. Okay. That was good stuff. All right. Um, God is just so good. <laughs> Um, just for, um, last night, just kind of spending time with God in this morning, not really knowing, um, what Micah was going to talk about. And I was like, all right, Lord, this is what you're giving me. So he's so good. Um, the first thing, there's a few things that he, um, I felt that he gave me. The first word was perseverance. Um, the second thing he gave me, I felt was an image of, Like a, like a human trampoline. It's kind of weird, but like God in the center and like the church body, like holding like hand in hand. And we're like at the bottom of like this tall, tall building. So it's God and like the church body and we're holding, they're everyone holding hands and he's at the center and there's people at the top who are giving up. And they're letting go of his hand. And they're falling. And as they hit this trampoline, 
God like shoots them back up. And he grabs them and he says, no, it's not time to give up. Like, I still gotcha. I'm still fighting. And then the last thing is he gave me, I felt he gave me Romans 12, 12. And it says, uh, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. And just as Micah was sharing, you know, the we're going, we go through difficult times. I, I feel like a lot of us are going through times right now that it's been like a, a long road. Like we've been fighting and fighting and fighting. And there's some of us who feel like we've just stepped into something and we don't know what to do. And as Micah is sharing of we have to rejoice in hope and knowing that God has this, not on our strength, but through him. And as, he, as you were sharing of just like, we have this idea of like, we need it now. We have to have it now. That idea of like, I've been praying for two days or I've been praying for a month and I haven't seen anything of being patient in that because God's timing is perfect. And it doesn't matter what we see with our natural eye or what, we're, what we maybe even be feeling in the midst of it is that he is, he is fighting on our behalf in the heavenly realms with the mighty, powerful angels. And even though we may not see it right now, we know we have to have hope and be patient during that time because we have seen victory. Each and every person in this room has seen victory. And we have to remember that. We have to hold on to that. And we have to be constant in our prayer life. As individuals, as a church body, do not allow the enemy to make you feel that you are alone because that is a lie from the enemy. And we need to come together and we need to stand together and declare victory over that lie and have faith and hope in knowing that victory is to come, the ultimate good. He is always good. If, this, if you're going through anything that is not good, it is not of him. And we have to hold on in knowing that he wants nothing but goodness for us. And when we stand in agreement with that, we know that that victory to come is that ultimate good. It's so precious. All right. I feel like if you guys are able to stand, and I want us to either hold hands or put an arm around the people that are in your row, and we're just going to declare his ultimate goodness during these battles, that he is good. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord Jesus. We give thanks to you right now, Lord, for this body. We give thanks to you that you are our Abba Father, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father God, we just... Declare your ultimate goodness in our lives right now, Lord Jesus. We rebuke the enemy, his deceitful ways to come and rob, kill, and destroy. And we say no more. We stand right now, hand in hand, with our focus on you. And we declare chains be broken in the name of Jesus right now. We come against sickness and disease. We come against anxiety and depression. We come against wedges of family and relationship, and we say no more, Lord Jesus. 
So we thank you, Lord, that we can stand here and give thanks to who you are for what you've done, what you're doing, and what is to come. So, Father God, we hold on to each other's hands. We hold on to who you are. And we declare victory right now. So we give praise to you. And we will continue, Lord, to actively pursue you, to persevere. And when we feel weak, Lord, we will not only come to you, but we will come to our brothers and sisters. And we will not feel alone. Or we will not feel judged. But we will come around and be lifted up. And know, Lord, that we are strong in and through you, and you have nothing but the ultimate goodness in our life to come. We praise you in your precious name. Amen. Dance like David